I want us to uh, think about the things we've been, been talking about, increasing uh, our healing emotions and, and mind. It seems like I was going to move right on through all these stages, but it seems like I've had to just stall out here and uh, not really stall out, but just drill deeper uh, into this because as I've as I've uh, studied this, I've come to realize that this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is, this is what determines our success. This is where we either rise or we fail, is in our, our mind and our emotions. The Holy Spirit is powerful. He can do anything, but He can't do anything when we're not cooperative. And uh, our emotions and our mental capacity and our mindset is what determines whether we are cooperative or not. And if we're not cooperative, it doesn't matter how much power God has, it won't help us. It won't affect us. But we have to be able to uh, assimilate who God is into our daily lives. And, and that's really where, where the breakdown comes in. Is we're not, we don't bring it into every day. And that, that's a challenge. How many, how many feel challenged a lot of times when you, when you hit the road running on Monday morning and got to get to work and you got all this stuff going on and your mind is just you know you're, you're trying to focus on that and you're trying to uh, uh, do what you're supposed to be doing and you're it's just like this flood uh, hits you and and you you don't sometimes the spiritual matters are the last thing you think about because you've switched modes you went from Sunday now you're on Monday and we we switch modes and and it's almost like we we're we're different people we're we, we, have our, we have our Sunday mindset, and then we have our Monday mindset. It really causes a lot of trouble, but yet it's, it's uh, normal as, as human beings. I, I have to deal with that. I, I struggle with it. Last Monday morning, I walked into one of the offices of, of a business that I, I work for and had my mind just, you know, I, I, have to, I have to plan out. I have to get the stuff. I have to do... I have to do all that stuff myself for the jobs that I'm doing. I mean, I, nobody, nobody draws up schematics for me. Nobody, nobody gets the stuff for me. I, you know, when I show up at the job, I have to have everything I need. I have to be ready. I have to have it planned out. I'm building this stuff in my head, you know, I, and, and each part and each piece, I'm, I'm just building it all together. And so I know what it's like to, to have to really focus on something other than our spiritual life. And I, I show up, and walk as I walk in the office to get some paperwork, I hear my name just as I walk in the door. And I heard the secretary say, well, if I was you, I'd get Tim Snyder to pray for me. And immediately, I'm jerked out of my, my, what I'm focusing on to, uh-oh, somebody needs help. And I, I'm, I'm building electrical stuff. <laughs> And I just walked in, and, and she turned around and saw me. She said, well, here he is. He can pray for you right now. And I was, I was a little taken back because I, I didn't expect that, you know. You never know what kind of impact you're having on people's lives. And she said, I tell everybody around here, if anything ever happens to me, you call Tim Snyder. Get him to pray for me. Well, instead of being excited about that, all of a sudden I, was, I, felt, I felt guilty. I felt condemned. I felt unspiritual. I felt pressured, you know, it's like, whoa, because this, this, this young boy 
was diagnosed with a, a cancerous tumor on his brain stem and was going in for surgery. And, and they tell me that, and I just walk over, and, I, and you know, I'm, I'm just kind of shaken by the whole thing. You would think a pastor wouldn't be that way, but, you know, you, you get that way. And I'm just kind of shaken by the whole thing. And I just walk over there, and I said, well, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah. So I just reached up, big old tall guy. I just reached up, grabbed him by the back of the neck, and started praying for him uh, there in the office. And, you know, we just turned that into a prayer room. You know, we prayed for him and, and everything. And I left there, and I was, you know, part of me was saying, well, thank you, Lord. That was, that was pretty neat. The other part of me was saying, son, you need to up your game. Let me know what I'm talking about. Yeah. We never know when we're going to, when things are going to, the things that God has put in us is going to be, a demand is going to be put on that. Amen. So I've been, I've been stirred about that all week. I mean, just, just stirred about it. And, and it's caused me to, to reevaluate a lot of, a lot of things that, and, and, and trying to figure out how to reevaluate. You know, you have to you have to live in this world. I'm, I mean, every one of you know what I'm talking about. You got to you got to function. When you show up for work, you got to show up for work. You can't show you can't show up for work and daydream. Amen. It, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if you're interceding to God. Your boss isn't going to uh, think that's uh, necessary at that moment because you know they they need you to be present and they need you to be productive. And so we all face that. We understand that. And our, our minds can become overwhelmed with the things that, that uh, are put on, the pressures that are put on us. And so how do, how, do we, how do we increase, how do we continue to increase in the things of God when we're trying to keep up with the demand that is placed on us on a, on a daily basis? It doesn't matter what happens, there will always be demand. How many understand that? Amen. I've always... You know, I, I, I teach younger pastors these principles, and then I have to constantly remind myself about it all the time. There's, a, there's, dip, there's, there's demand ministry, and there's purpose ministry. If you're not careful, demand takes up all the time for your purpose, and you never get to your purpose. And so vision and purpose, you have to spend so much time a week on vision and purpose in order to achieve. If not, all you do is maintain. So you never grow. You understand what I'm talking about? Maintenance doesn't grow anything. Maintenance takes care of what's already there. But you have to, you have to also expand and be able to, to grow. How do we do that? Our, our brains have been programmed from birth in a lot of ways. And we have developed our thinking processes uh, both by DNA that's been passed down to us and also by what we've engaged in in this world. And so these thinking processes have grown in our brains and we have, we have developed who we are and how we think because we have practiced this thing, okay? It's not that it just happened, you've practiced it. You practice it every day. To change that can only be done one way. When you want to grow in the things of God, you can have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that literally transforms your life, and you can, you'll lose it all if you don't expand your capacity to carry and walk in the presence of God. Amen. Because all of a sudden you've received something that your brain doesn't have capacity for, nor is it programmed for. 
And we, of course, as spiritual people, we, we like to say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to do this for me. The Holy Spirit's going to do this for me. We're, we are like people that don't study for a test, and we get to the time to take a test, and we start declaring, I, through Christ, I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. So I'm going to pass this test with an A because I can do all things through Christ Jesus. And you flunk the test and then you're upset at God because he didn't help you. Why didn't he help you? Because you didn't increase your capacity to, to carry what he's put inside of you. Oh, come on. Come on, come on now. I'm going, to, I'm going to be talking about something today that, that, that is going to really inspire us. I said that because... Most of you are going to feel uninspired because I'm going to be talking about commitment. I'm going to be talking about practice. I'm going to be talking about sticking with something until you got it. We are, we are inspiration junkies. Come on, somebody. We need somebody to give us our shot of inspiration. And we can feel inspired, but we only feel inspired to daydream. We don't take it from daydream to application because that means we have to apply ourselves to this thing and we have to change ourselves. We have to change how we think. We have to change how we walk. We have to change how we, we function. And that is not an easy thing because a lot of us think that our brains are fixed. They can never be changed. But 99.9% .9 of all neuroscience today says that our brains are built by our thinking. In other words, your mind and your brain are two separate things. Your brain is the electrical house that your thoughts work in, but your mind is what determines what is built in your brain. I'm gonna, let, me, let me read some, my scripture here today because I'm about to just dump a whole lot of stuff on you. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, starting with verse 19, we read this last Sunday. Therefore, brethren, have a boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, Apostle Paul, who was Saul, a persecutor of the church, he was, he was literally ingrained in the law. He was perfect in the law by his own mouth. And, and he, had, he had every T crossed and every I dotted in his life. He was a perfectionist when it comes to to the things that he did. And all of a sudden he had this encounter with God and he got knocked off his high horse, got his face rubbed in the dirt, and then Jesus said, what do you see now, Saul? And Saul said, I can't see anything. Who are you, Lord? All of a sudden Saul didn't have any answers. All of a sudden he didn't know what to do. I mean, this is the guy that was taking charge, and all of a sudden, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know where he was. He couldn't see anything. And he had to go and separate for a long time, several years. Paul, who, Saul, who became Paul, after his eyes were open, after he was healed and his eyes were open, he had to spend several years studying and changing 
his mind. See, he already received the Spirit, but he didn't jump up and go start preaching. Why? Because he would, have, he would have taken the power of the Holy Spirit and preached the law with it. Because that's all he had the capacity for. But he had to go and study repetitiously until he knew who Christ was. And he knew how to apply and how to walk and how to believe. And he knew how to, how to be uh, uh, controlled by the fruit of the Spirit. He knew how to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. It was not something that just happened automatically. We, we want the, I forget what I said the other day, we, we, want, the, we want the download and the, and the yee-haw all at the same time, and, and, and we don't want to have to, we don't have to do anything about it. We want, we, we want I, zap and clap. That's what I started calling it. We want the zap and clap. We want to come to God, and we, we want to get zapped and then clap. Woo, God, applaud. I got it. I got it. No, you don't got it. You, you just got touched with something that you don't even know how to walk in. You don't even know how to talk about it. You don't even, you got to, that, that's, that's just the beginning. That's the door that opens. And then you got to go in and say, okay, what's in the house? If I'm going to live in this house, what's here? I got to explore this thing. I got to dig into this thing. I got to find out where the table is where I can sit down and eat. I got to find out where the bed is so I'll know how to rest in God. Come on, somebody. Amen. I got to find out where the living room is where I can sit down and talk to Jesus. See, we, we, we want to live in the house, but we don't want to discover the house. We, we've got to learn that, that this thing, one of, the, one of the biggest weaknesses in the church today, in the body of Christ today, is the fact that we don't want to practice who we are. We don't want to practice what Jesus did. In these verses that I'm reading, he says, he says let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Well, how do you, we talked last week, we talked last week about, about the scripture and how that we, we've got to practice this thing. We've got to, we got to Press in. And he said, in full assurance of faith. Well, how are you going to have full assurance of faith if you don't know exactly what you believe? If we don't understand what we really believe, then we're not going to have full assurance of faith. We, we, we believe that we're Christians. Well, what does that mean? What exactly does that well, it means that you're Christ-like. Well, how, what is being Christ-like? What was Jesus like? What did he do? What, what was his character like? What, you know, what, do, we, do we understand who Jesus is? You know, I've, th- this whole week, I've, I've, had to, I've, I've battled between beating myself up for not getting there and wanting to get there. You know what I'm talking about? Matter of fact, most of us deal with the, with the uh, disappointment gap. You know what the disappointment gap is? Where you believe you should be in your mind and then where you're at in reality. That's called the disappointment gap. And a lot of us deal with the disappointment gap in several areas of our life. Whether it's financially, uh, relationally, with your walk with God, 
you know, uh, with your business, whatever it is, there is this disappointment gap that we, if we're not careful, will rob us of our ability to apply right now what God's given us. Because we're always daydreaming about where we should be, and we're always disappointed about where we actually are. And we don't know how to get across this big gap, this disappointment gap. We don't know what to do about that. Well, the only way to get across that disappointment gap is, number one, have faith, and number two, apply the knowledge that God's given you. Make it work for you. And, and so when we, when we understand the things that God has given us and we start applying them, how can we have full assurance of faith? You can have full assurance of faith when you get it downloaded into your brain to where it literally becomes a tree in your brain. Now, let me, let me preface that. Let me, let me help you understand that. When, when you develop a, a, a truth, when you're trying to develop a truth in your brain, you start, you start believing that, you start practicing that, and it takes up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, there's going to be a temptation here to feel overwhelmed, okay? And yet, we waste our lives not, not applying this stuff. You, in order to develop a truth in your brain that is going to literally affect your behavior, you have to start meditating on that and applying that truth up to seven times a day. Up to seven times a day, you've got to rehearse that truth in your mind. You've got to do that for 21 consecutive days in order to, for the proteins in your brain to start gathering together and forming a house for that truth to live in. Now that is just the beginning of that. Then you have to do another consecutive two more 21 day periods consecutive in order up to 63 days for that little thing that you just grew in your brain, that little neuron that you just grew in your brain, if you don't continue, it'll be there, but it won't be effective. It takes 21 more day cycles for it to grow the branches. And when it's finished, that truth, that thought, looks like a little tree in your brain in the nerve endings. And you can grow that. You don't have to say, well, that, my brain just doesn't work that way. Your brain will work that way if we teach it to work that way. But we immediately feel overwhelmed and lazy and, and just don't want If we can't do it perfect right now, we don't want to start. We are disappointed perfectionists. Everybody remember that term, disappointed perfectionist. A disappointed perfectionist is one that will not start a task because they do not believe they can complete it perfectly. Frustrated perfectionists are those that are constantly trying to achieve it, and, but they, they can't get there because they don't really know where the end goal is. They, their bar keeps moving. And so they're frustrated perfectionists. 
because they apply themselves and apply themselves and apply themselves, but they can never be happy with what they've achieved because in their brain it always gets higher and higher and higher because they have no real concept of what it means to be perfect. Okay? So you're either a disappointed perfectionist or a frustrated perfectionist. Now, in between all that is an achiever. And that's somebody that actually applies themselves, understands what the goal is, and works to get there. How can we have the full assurance of faith if we don't know what our faith is actually based in? Our faith is, be, is based in a God that has made promises to us, great and precious promises, but we're not sure where they're at or how to apply them or how to get them. And somehow this mystic God sends these promises down and they just kind of float around and land on random people all of a sudden. No. They land on people that have accessed it. Amen. Oh, that's good preaching. See, a lot of us have been in church long enough to learn how to be disappointed. We live in a state of disappointment and we, we don't apply ourselves and we don't go after anything because we've had some disappointments. And therefore we learn to confess our faith without pursuing our faith. Because to pursue means that you set yourself up for disappointment. What if I don't get there? What if it doesn't happen? What if I can't do it? What if, what if God doesn't want me to do it? What if the devil inter interrupts me? And what if the devil fights me? And what if, what if people don't like me? And, what if, and all this kind of stuff. We, this stuff starts going on. And we learn how to get in the devil's box. And we sit there daydreaming about how it could be without ever really receiving or achieving and experiencing how it is. I come here to preach today. Y'all might as well amen me. If you don't start just really getting on board, we're going to be here till 2 o'clock. Full assurance of faith. Having a, having a draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. How do you do that? By the truth. And our bodies washed water with pure water. How do you do that? By the truth. Jesus told the disciples, he, he said, you're already washed with the word. And then in, in verse 23 it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. Hold fast. Now, when we, when we set our hearts to go after something, there's only one way to get that, and you have to pursue with everything that's in you. Amen. This, this word, hold fast, it, it literally means to hold down possess, seize with intensity, seize with intensity, we need, to, we need to run in there and fight and grab hold of something like people do on Black Friday, I've watched those videos and is that what it is, Black Friday, okay, there's Monday, something Black Monday or Huh? Cyber Monday. Okay. 
I, I guess that's where you that's where you punch the keys so you know hard and you go after stuff. I don't know how you do that stuff. Amen. I, I just I get out of all that. I mean, I, I get out of all that. That is that is, woo, Lord. I, I just want to escape, you know, during all, all that stuff. But when when we actually want something, it says hold fast the confession or the King James, original King James says profession of our faith without wavering. I mean, you know, James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his way. Let not that th- man think that he will receive anything from God. In other words, we have to get focused. We have to, we have to cut off all options. If there's anything that frustrates the lives of Americans today is we have too many options. Too many options. If you're ever going to achieve something, you're going to have to cut off every option. In other words, you don't have any escape route. You don't have any plan B or plan C. You've got one plan, and that's what you're going after, and you won't stop until you get to that, that one plan. That, that's what you've got to go after. And it says, hold down, retain, possess, seize with intensity your confession of faith. Now, that is not just quoting a scripture that is going after that scripture until you literally have possession of that scripture. I mean, you won't let it go until it starts manifesting in your life. It's one thing to quote the word. It's another thing to walk the word. And it's a whole other thing to manifest the word. We need to keep going until we manifest the word of God. Amen. You, you say, Pastor, I, I want to. What? I want to walk in that. Look at our gifts. Did you know you cannot operate in a gift effectively unless you practice that gift? We as spiritual Pentecostal, whatever you want to call ourselves, charismatic, we, we, like, we, like, you know, we like God to show up. And I understand that terminology. That, that's those services where, woo, you know, you get goosebumps and everything. That, that's where God showed up. Actually, that's where we just got in tune with him. He's been here all along. We just finally, we just finally took the time to get in His presence, and 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 we have the term, terminology. God showed up. Now, the gifts of the Spirit. When God gives you a gift and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that is, you don't wait until something happens. You practice that gift. If God's given you the Word of Knowledge, you start working in, in the Word of Knowledge. This this message kicked me all over the place this week because I everything I studied I had I, I was repenting for more than I was studying. I spent all day here the other day and and the the whole day I was studying this and 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 I had to keep fighting you know self condemnation because you know I, you know you should have been way beyond this point son. You know I was, you ever thought that. <laughs> I was, I was repenting for wasted years and, I, and everything else. And, and when I finally got all that out of my system, I said, okay, uh, now I need, I need to quit groveling and I need to start applying. I need to start doing something here. If God's given you the, the gift of the word of knowledge, you don't stand around and wait for some tingling thing to go down your spine. You start noticing when it works. And a lot of times it happens in the course of a conversation. You just be talking to somebody, and next thing you know, you're saying something that's piercing right into the heart, and, and it's a word of knowledge. And, and, and you start noticing that, and you, you start practicing that. It's not like you just go up and start trying to read everybody's mail. You just you start practicing that. You start 
You start paying attention to it. You start walking in it, and you start noticing it, and you try to develop that thing until you get to the point where you're able to do that proficiently. Amen. Gift of healing, same way. You're never going to get to where you can walk in the gift of healing if you're not laying hands on people and praying for them. It doesn't matter if you have to attend their funeral the next day. You still got to go and, and practice it. You're going to have more disappointments than you're going to have victories, but you got to keep doing it and keep doing it until it starts working. Why? Because we have to be able to... We have to be able to walk in what God has given us. And if we don't learn to walk in it, it's just going to be this mysterious hit and miss thing that, that we're never going to understand the rest of our lives. The people that have achieved things are those that, that focus and pursue. Amen. Michael Jordan, when, when he started playing basketball as a teenager you know, in, in school, he, was, he had some skills. You know, all of us have skills. He had some skills, but they wasn't developed. And, but the, the coach said that he had to actually start making him leave at night, leave the gym at night, and kicking him out of the gym because he would not leave. After everybody else was gone, he would practice and practice and practice and practice. And he would, he would, he would do there, stand there and shoot free throws for hours Hours on end, just hundreds and hundreds of free throws. And, and in his lifetime, in his professional career, that became one of his trademarks. He got fouled more than most players. I forget the percentage, but he got fouled more than most players. And that in itself would make some of us just sit down and quit and say, well, if they're just going to keep fouling me. Well, if, if they're just going to keep doing this, I'm just... The devil's fighting me again. I'm just so tired of it. Come on, somebody. Oh, we, we get to pouting, don't we? You know what Michael Jordan did? He turned that into something that, that caused him to win games, and his, his shooting percentage got up to 50%. That's pretty good for a lot of players. And, and he made more free throws than a lot of other guys that played. And the reason is because he took something that he wasn't very good at and he practiced and he practiced and he practiced and he practiced until it became something that he was good at. Shooting. He was always tall. He could always slam dunk and all that kind of stuff. But he won several games at last-minute shots right before the buzzer when they would throw the ball to him. He'd be out by half court and he would shoot it right at the buzzer and it would go in. And, and, and he would win. You know how he got to doing that? It, he had some skill, but he made himself practice that over and over and over until it became something that he was good at. Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world. Warren Buffett. A lot of you know his name. I mean, very unassuming guy. Does not, still lives in the same house he bought when he was a teenager. He's worth... How many billions of dollars? 18, 20 billion dollars? I, I can't remember how many billions of dollars that, that he has. And, but he still lives in the same house he, he paid 20-some thousand dollars for. And he bought that when he was in high school. Because he, he, he started, he had some skills. And so he started investing. And he went and bought a pinball machine. He, he, had, a, he had a paper 
route, and he saved up his money, and he bought a pinball machine, and he put that pinball machine in the local barbershop, and by the time he was a senior in high school, he had pinball machines in barbershops all over the place, and when he was, when, when he was uh, 17 or 18, I forget what age he was, he bought a farm, 20-acre farm, I believe, or something like that. Anyway, he bought a farm and a house, and he still lives in that house. He has billions of dollars. Doesn't even own his own limousine. Still, still rents cars. But you know what he does every day? For at least eight hours a day, he reads. And that's why he's got so many billions of dollars. Because he reads and studies stock markets and, and companies. And, and for eight hours a day, he reads nonstop. And he has the information. He develops his brain. At, even at this time in life, he's late. He's, I forget how old he is, older than me. But he still does that every day. And the reason is because it's not the money he's after. It's the fact that he loves what he does and he invests himself into it. Amen. His sister, he taught his sister how to do it, I guess. And his sister said that she has so much money that every day she gets up and all she does all day long is try to give away millions of dollars. That's her job every day is giving away millions of dollars. And she said, when I go to bed at night, I have more money than I started with that morning. You say, well, that would be nice. Well, you got to do what they did. We're all dreamers. We daydream. And most of the time we get inspired and it never goes beyond daydreaming. Why? Because to actually do it means that we got to put effort into it and apply ourselves. If we're going to grow in God, if we're going to have the knowledge of God in our lives, if we're going to really know what we believe so that we can have the full assurance of faith, we're going to have to start practicing that several times a day for 21 days just to grow a long-term memory that will affect our lives. See, every time I say that, I, I see eyes glass over like, I don't have the time. Yes, you do. You've lived all these years. You've had the time to do it over and over and over. See, in doing that, you can change your life eight to nine times a year. Amen. Matter of fact, I've been praying about restructuring how we do church, how we do our ministry, how we do. Because I've, in studying this, I've, I've found out that we only retain things up, uh, 12 to 24 hours, and most of us don't retain it that long. You can, you, can come in, you, you can come in here on Sunday morning and hear something that really touches your heart and inspires you. You're going to remember how you felt, but you're not going to remember what made you feel that way. Because in 12 to 24 hours, that thought in your short-term memory, that thought turns into hot air and literally leaves our body as hot air. Anybody ever told you it's full of hot air? Well, you are, and it's all your short-term memories dissolving and leaving your body 
Every 12 to 24 hours, you forget more than you retain. So every time you hear something that inspires you, the church has come into this place where we are, we are inspiration junkies. We want something to inspire us, but that inspiration only lasts as a feeling, not as knowledge. It doesn't last as anything that can literally change your life. It's just an inspiration that fades away. Matter of fact, I've found that the, the longest most people, when they decide to have a life-changing experience, when they decide to change their life and, uh, and start doing something, three weeks is usually the minimum. And the reason is, in three weeks, 21 days, you actually develop something that, that can house what you're trying to do. But this is, this is what happens. We, we start realizing we're developing that, and we quit. Matter of fact, we start feeling like, you know, we've conquered. We're rocky at the top of the steps. I've done it, you know. But the problem is you haven't done it. You've just, you've just, you've just birthed that baby. Now the thing's got to grow and learn. Amen. So the truth, when, when, when you get into the truth of the Word of God, hold fast, hold down, possess, grab hold of it, and refuse to let it go until it starts manifesting in your life. Amen. Praise God. I, I want to I experience that. I've, there are things that the Holy Spirit has burned into my mind over the years that, that I never forget. I mean, it's literally burned into my, into my mind. And the first time I ever had a revelation of the Word of God was I was about uh, 13 or 14. And, and I was reading in, in uh, I think it's First Peter 1 and 7. See if I can find that. And it was talking about the trial of your faith. Though the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold, which perishes when it's tried by fire, will be found unto honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read that verse one time, and it's never left me. I can still quote it to this day, and that's been a long time ago. I'm, I'm turning 59 this year. I was about 14. That was a long time ago. But that burned into my spirit. But you know what? That doesn't do me any good if I don't practice that and practice that and practice that continually until it becomes, the, it, it literally forms how I live my life. The things that we apply ourselves to every day is what's forming how we live our lives. And so when we put forth the effort, if you want to change what's going on in your life, if you want to have a revelation of God and you want that thing to actually change the direction of your life, you can't just get that revelation and say, oh, that made me feel good, that's wonderful, that's exciting, and read it a couple of times and, and, and then just leave it. No, you got to grab hold of that thing. you got to literally hold it down. It's, it's like a wrestling move. you got to grab hold of it and wrestle it down and refuse to let go of it because it's yours and you're going to hang on to that thing until you no longer have to hang on to it because you have become it. Anything that you want to do, anything you want to accomplish in life is going to happen because you apply yourself. 
we, we've, we've lost that. We don't want to apply ourselves. Matter of fact, I, I read a, a survey the other day that, that uh, young people today that's entering into the workforce, that if, if they can't get a promotion or a raise within three weeks, they quit and go to another job because they're not advancing fast enough. They feel like that their life is passing them by and they should have had it already. They should already have what mom and dad had. They should already have all their needs met. And so they, when, they, when they start applying themselves, they feel like, and I'm not criticizing anybody, this is statistics, this is study, that this is something that people took the time to study and put together. And they said they feel like that they don't have time to stick with something long enough to achieve it because they're looking for that thing that's going to cause it to happen now. Isn't that the way we're, we're programmed? Amen. Our attention span is, is very short. If, you're, if you've ever been done public speaking, you realize that people's attention span is really short. And so for you to, you to actually get anything out of what I'm talking about, you, your attention span tried to leave within the first five minutes. Literally. And that's why, that's why we have to learn how to hold your attention. When I see people's eyes glazed off, that's what, sometimes that's when I tell some crazy story that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about because I, I'm resetting your, your attention span. And then I go back into my message, hey, you're there. Oh, I just told one of my secrets. But we, our attention span is very short because we no longer live in a time where, where life moves. Now we live in, in increments. Now we live in sound bites. Now we live in seconds. And if things don't happen in seconds, then, then we, we, we can't seem to apply ourselves to it because it's supposed to happen right now. But i got to tell you something. In the church, in the, in the gospel, you grow. You grow. We like to talk about, you know, God, I want you to transform me. He's going to touch you with his power, but if you don't grow, you're not going to be transformed. Amen. We, we, need, to under, we need to know what our faith is. We need to know why we're saved and how, why we say we're saved. We need to have that down to the point that it is literally ingrained in us and can't ever be taken away from us. Amen. We need, we need to understand the fullness of the power of God. And if you believe that you're supposed to be full of the Spirit of God, you need to grab hold of that thing, wrestle it down, and hold on to it until it becomes you. And you start walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God. I mean walking in it. Not because, not because you have to have some inspiration every day. Oh, my goodness. If, if the church could be delivered from anything, I, I, I pray that we're delivered from inspiration. And yet that's the strongest power that we have is constantly inspiring somebody. We have to constantly inspire, inspire, inspire. And if we don't, there's, there's plenty of other restaurants to go to. Come on, somebody. We, today, today people shop for churches like, like, like restaurants. You know, a restaurant, when it first opens, people flock to it. And you can't even get a seat in it for a while. 
and if if and and then until another one opens up, and then all of a sudden this this restaurant's trying to just trying to survive, and this other one is flourishing, and because everybody flocks to that one, you know, we we're inspirational. We, I'm not going to tarry on that. But if, if we could learn to apply ourselves and live this thing out and quit looking for the next great thing that's going to make us somehow become what we, what we see that we're supposed to be and, and yet we're way down here in reality and, but we can see what, and we're looking for somebody, something to transport us to that point. I mean, we, we won't, what was it they called it? The transporter beam. We, in, in Star Wars or something like that, they, they had to, you know, they would, you know, beam me up Scotty. And they dissolve you down, you know. That, that's, that's actually quantum physics, what they're, they're doing. They're describing quantum physics, taking you apart in, in light waves and particles. And then putting you back together in those light waves and particles, which will, will never happen to human, human beings because only God is smart enough to build a human body. Okay, but we want we want that to happen. We want to be here. We want to be here, and we want to we want to be touched with the power of God. And suddenly, I'm here, and I didn't have to do anything. Woo! You know what happened? You couldn't live here because you don't know how you got there. This would be overwhelming. It would tear you apart because in order to get over there and in order to live over there, it takes this. And by the time you get there, you're not worrying about what's back there because you're living here now and you know how you got here and you are trained. You are trained in this position. You're trained here. That's another thing people don't like, like to give themselves to today is being trained. read another statistic that employers are having a hard time because young people don't like somebody telling them what to do. They don't like somebody telling them you have to do this or you have to be here at a certain time. And, and they want to be a manager the second day that they show up for work. Literally. These are statistics that I'm reading. Well, how'd they get there? They got there because all those older people taught them that. Oh, that I wasn't supposed to say that. Oh, we're supposed to we're we're supposed to be really coming down this younger generation. You know, the ones that are below us. I've got to tell you something. They learned it from us. We're the ones that created this world. We're the ones that taught them. You know, people's always saying kids have changed today. No, kids haven't changed. Parenting has changed. I'm going to get back up here. It is not safe down there anymore. In the 1960s, American society started this thing that developed what we have today, and that is parents started saying, I want my kids to have everything I didn't have. And so we went on a pursuit for stuff. To the point now that our civilization 
is a consumer civilization instead of a producer civilization. I'm all over the board today. I could pre I could literally preach till midnight tonight. I mean, some of y'all just lost heart. I'm I'm almost done. Okay? I'm getting there. Uh, I'm closing. Some of y'all's hitting the microwave button. What's wrong with you? <laughs> like some of y'all when your pro when your computer's running slow. It took it's taken five seconds longer than it used to, and we can't take it. You know, on Sunday you really shouldn't have anything else to do but this. Man, I'm glad y'all don't vote on me anymore. How many, how, many, how many want to grow some trees in your head? Amen. The Spirit of God is powerful. The Holy Spirit is amazing. He can do more than we could ever think, but He's got he's to get you to allow Him to grow some growth inside of our heads to where we can actually walk in this thing. We can walk in His presence. We can walk in His power where we abs- actually duplicate and mirror back what we're looking at and what we're receiving and to be able to do that. Now, before some of y'all think you're going to run out of capacity in your brain, these little trees where you're going to have limbs sticking out your ears and everything else. Listen to this. This is how awesome God made us. Don't worry about that. You're not going to run out of room. You're not going to run out of capacity. You literally have the capacity in your brain to grow these little trees for the next three million years. That's how much capacity God's put up here. If we could live that long, we could continue to grow and continue to download and continue to develop for the next three million years and not come to a place where our brains no longer have capacity to grow. Now, for years, the church, especially Pentecostal charismatic churches, have have seemingly tried to take the mind out of the church where it's all spirit, it's all spiritual. And that's why we're in the mess we're in today. Because the spiritual has to work through something. It's just like your mind is separate from your, from your brain. That, that means we're a spiritual being. That's where you daydream at. That's where all this, this creative stuff goes on in your head. It's not in your brain, it's in your mind. Your mind is greater than this physical gray thing that sits up here. Okay? And we, we, we want the Spirit of God to move. We want the Spirit of God to profoundly change our lives, and He will. But it's just like anything else. The Bible teaches this. I don't know why we can't grab hold of it. Paul, Paul taught neuroscience all the way through his teachings. The difference between the spiritual mind and the carnal mind, the, the being renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
You know, the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God, pulling down the stronghold and bringing every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He immediately went to the mind. Why? Because this is, this is what the devil bombards. This is what the devil attacked, and this is what he uses to help you defeat yourself. And if we can take the tools away from him, he can no longer defeat us because he doesn't have access to that which controls us. I am trying to calm down and, and quit, but this thing is just boiling up inside of me, okay? <laughs> Some of y'all want to turn the burner off. Come on now. Be happy. Everybody smile at me real big. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, See, if we, if we understand that, that the power and move of God will only survive if we will grow with it and if we will develop with it. See, what, what bothered you yesterday doesn't have to bother you tomorrow. I call it, I, I tell younger people, and especially people entering into the ministry, I say, look, you have to learn how to walk in the current. You have to learn how to stand up in the current. Because it's always trying to sweep your feet out from under you. It's always trying to take you downstream. And when you first get in that current, it can feel overwhelming because it's, it's trying to take your feet away from you. But once you learn how to walk in that current, it no longer, you no longer think about the current because you're used to it. You've learned how to walk in it. Amen. You can do that. You have to learn how to stand up in the current. And sometimes God will do stuff to make you, to make you learn how to walk in the current. Amen. I remember I waded across this, this swift water one time all the way to the other side fishing with another guy, walking and fishing. And we went wading, wading across there. The water, water was up to here, and it was trying to sweep us downstream, but we need to get across the other side. Well, we're going across, and I'm out front, and I'm, I'm crossing this thing, and I'm having to just work my feet on the bottom because every time I'd pick my foot up a little bit, it would try to sweep my legs out from under me. And so I'm, I'm being real cautious, you know. And this other guy's coming behind me, and he's quite a ways behind me. And, and, and I'm almost to the other side. And it's really swift water, rapids, and, and it's sw trying to sweep me down. And I'm, I'm concentrating on this. And all of a sudden, I look up, and there's a dead tree in front of me, and there's snakes all over that dead tree. And just as I looked up, this huge snake, I don't know how big it was, but it was big, went off the tree limb into the water toward me. Now, most of the time, it's cottonmouths that are aggressive like that, the ones that are, that are poisoned. They're the ones that are aggressive. And this thing comes off the tree limb and comes toward me. I turned around and never even thought about the rapids anymore, and I, I met that guy. I took off running, and I passed that guy hollering, there's a snake over there. And I, I mean, I was standing on the other shore. He was still out in the middle trying to turn around. And I was already back on the other side. See, every once in a while, God will throw you into something that you, got, you will learn real fast how to stand up in the current. Come on, somebody. You say, oh, God, make my life easy. Oh, God's not going to make your life easy. He's going to make you tough where what used to bother you now seems easy. Oh, come on. Oh, I'm going to have to quit. Amen.
Come on, Jesus. Just knock us all out. <laughs> Praise God. Hope without wavering. Hope without wavering. The only way you can have hope without wavering is if you have gotten hope and wrestled it down and, and grabbed hold of it and rehearsed it in your spirit until you, nobody can rip hope out of you. If not, your hope is going to be circumstantial and situational. You're going to, you're going to, your hope is going to come and go. It's going to ebb and tide with what's happening in your life. But if you want to have real hope in your life, you've got to grab hold of that hope and every day rehearse why you have hope in your heart for 63 days until you grow a little tree in your brain called hope, and that thing is going off all the time. I mean, it is just literally sending signals all the time to your whole being, and that, and that what's in your brain is what feeds your body. And you want to know why some, a lot of us are sick? It's because the trees in our brain are, 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 are dead, and they're, and they're, they're bad fruit. And they're feeding our body signals and things that, that shouldn't be there and making us sick. We, we've got to understand the toxic, I'm going to have to quit. Toxic thoughts, every time you think a toxic thought, when toxic thoughts, when you meditate on a toxic thought, you are going to become mentally or physically ill in some way every time. It's going to affect your mind or your body. Every time something happens and you have a toxic response to that, bitterness, anger, whatever it might be, jealousy, and you have a toxic response to that and, that, and you meditate on that, it is proven scientifically by neuroscience that you will either have you will either become sick in your mind through depression, anxiety, or you will become sick in your body through diseases and infirmities. And a lot of times both. Because you allowed you had a toxic response. It affects your body. I remember a few years ago, something happened that just really knocked me. You ever, you ever had, had, had the air knocked out of you? I mean, not, not physically, but it, it is physical, but something happened that just really knocks the air out of it. I mean, it knocked me down in my being, and I couldn't get back up. I couldn't figure out how to get back up. I mean, just knocked me down, knocked, knocked the hope out of me, knocked the spirit out of me, knocked, knocked the drive out of me. I mean, I, I just literally collapsed, and I started fighting my way back up, trying to fight my way back through this thing, and was able to, to get back on top of it and, and overcome it. But after that happened, all of my fingernails, as they grew out, had these ridges in them, Literally. My fingernails and my toenails had these lines, these, these ridges that grew out. And I, I kept watching those, and I kept thinking, what is that? And then all of a sudden, I remembered that time, and that's about how long it would take. That had such an impact on me that it affected my physical body, and, my, and the growth in my fingernails literally stopped for that time. And then when they started growing back out, they were, they were affected. They had ridges. And I thought, that is amazing. That is amazing. The impact 
that this stuff has on us, it's not just a mental thing. It is, it is spirit, soul, and body. And we have got to apply ourselves where we learn how to recover from that and keep the toxicity out of our life because it is destructive. Stand with me if you would today. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.